Hello and welcome to a new episode of Behind the Scenes of Happiness, Motivation for Motivators. I'm your host, Christoph Spiesens. How can we make a difference to others when we're fighting our own demons by making a choice to step up and step out? In this episode, I talk with record-breaking endurance adventurer Alex Staniforth. His journey has not been easy and continues to challenge him. However, Alex shares how you can be a source of inspiration to others while climbing your own Everest. A practical mental health conversation with a difference. Enjoy. He's a record-breaking endurance adventurer, international keynote and TEDx speaker, an author and mental health ambassador. And he may only be 23 years old, but he has already achieved some amazing things, such as taking part in two rather infamous Everest expeditions. He ran the Manchester Marathon, and I know he's preparing for the London Marathon as well. He's a London 2012 Olympic torchbearer. He won the Pride of Britain Regional Fundraiser of the Year 2017 award on the back of becoming the fastest person ever to climb all 100 UK county tops in 72 days, also in 2017, which is a 5,000 mile journey by bike, foot and kayak, raising over £25,000 for mental health charity Young Minds UK. Alex, thank you very much for coming on my podcast today. No problem at all. You know, it's, it's great to be here and thank you for having me along, Christoph. What I find inspirational about you, Alex, and maybe by way of introduction, we can start here, is how you had to navigate some significant adversity when you were even younger than today. Mm. And you chose to do it in such an effective way, whereas many people who are also still very young don't always choose a similar inspirational way for all the the right reasons, because we all have our own set of circumstances, of course. But I find how you made that decision perhaps even more inspirational than your actual accomplishments on the back of that decision. Yeah, thank you. Um, Interesting question, really. I think my, my general approach to most things, like a lot of people, is kind of all or nothing. I always want to go to one extreme or the other. And um, I think overcoming adversity has always been, been been very natural to me. I think we we choose to live life, you know, by our own terms. And for me, it's always been to to fight back. And I think as a young young age, I found the outdoors as a way to express that as a means of achieving that. I think naturally, you we're know, building that ability and resilience comes from time. You know, we continually challenge ourselves we raise the bar and then we gain evidence in you know in our lives as to as to what we can achieve when we you know when we do challenge adversity when we do keep on going when we do find a way to turn these challenging experiences in life into something positive and um i think by the you know by the word there you know that was important you know is choice you know i i think i've i've been fortunate to learn from a young age that um you know, we don't always get to choose what happens to us, but we do get to choose how we respond. And I think by having that mindset, we just apply it in, in various places. And, uh, and naturally, you know, with, with age and with experience and as the journey progresses, that has just gone on to bigger things, really. And I think I, um, 
I'm not very fortunate to use that in a way to try and help other people to make, you know, more positive choices to show them that it doesn't have to be this way. You know, they can, they can choose their response. You can choose your response. That is the key, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And I think, I think I see it a lot, not just, um, in my peers, but, uh, in the business I speak to and just all around me on social media that, uh, people get stuck in a victim mindset. And I think I've always tried to advocate um, choosing a victory mindset. And, uh, and essentially that can apply in small steps in major life events like, you know, avalanche Everest or, mm. uh, or the epilepsy and the stammering that I suffered with when I was younger. And I just think it's uh, seeing life in its reality rather than perhaps the perceptions that society creates. And, and also... I think social media especially has a real role to play there as well. You talk to different groups of people, different sizes, different cultures. In terms of reaching different people with your messages, when you kind of scan through those audiences, what are the common denominators between them? Why do you think your message has such a universal appeal? Um, I would certainly hope it does. <laughs> it um, seems to. I've, I've been, yeah, I've been really fortunate that the, really for the last two or three years now, I've been speaking more and more, you know, in a professional context, um, cool. both to kind of corporates and conferences, as well as education, charities, to, to schools, to students. And that really sustains kind of my work now and what mm-hmm. I do. And uh, I've been able to speak to a, a real variety you know from 650 people to sort of five people in the boardroom and and every audience is different and I think I've got better at telling well not so much telling but kind of picking up on on that audience and and how they're perceiving what I'm telling them and I always I always make a lot of effort to try and tailor the story and how I tell it to the audience mm-hmm. as any speaker should and I guess one challenge I've had as a speaker is that because of my age and because of kind of my unconventional background is I haven't really had the same experience in business. So I'm trying to put things into a business context when I haven't actually had a huge amount of experience myself uh, in their shoes. And, and obviously I'm always trying to put myself in their shoes as, as best I possibly can. Whereas with younger people, it's, it's a lot more natural. Um, but I think, I think my age in some ways has been an advantage because a lot of businesses and, you know, a lot of people in these roles have, have children my age. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of these businesses have graduates who are kind of in the same position of trying to work out who they are, what their role is, what their purpose is in life. And mm. I was lucky to find that quite early on. And I think um, generally just, just trying to, trying to show people that are kind of almost forging new ways to, to, you know, survive and find hope in this kind of very busy, complicated world that, um, that actually so much is out of our control. Mm. And sometimes, you know, failure, adversity is inevitable, but ultimately it's, uh, it's not the end results. And I think that everybody from high level executives to school children in a very deprived area have, have their challenges. And I think that one thing that really perhaps puts us on the same page is the vulnerability that willingness to be open about my struggles and say you know I've had these challenges but it's not stopped me from achieving this and achieving that and absolutely I think the message I put out 
um, quite regularly is that we all have our own Everest in life. Mm-hmm. And that applies to everybody the same. And that's, I think that almost universal kind of message that we all have challenges. We all have our own Everest in life. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody has something they're facing uh, can apply to everybody really. So I think that's been the key. Beautiful. As I was listening to you, Alex, I was writing down the word hope and I'm so glad you mentioned it because I do generally think that people who listen to you, that's what they get from your talks. It's, it's that feeling of hope. It's like there's a possibility I can turn my life around or I can transcend this situation, whatever challenge that I'm facing. There is hope. And I think that's what you communicate so well and so effectively. And I would like to ask you a follow-up question, if I may. You, sure. you mentioned the business experience. It's not always quite there yet. And, and you're growing and, and, and developing that. But how, because I know that many of our listeners are aspiring public speakers, how has your confidence as a public speaker changed compared with say even one year ago oh great question and um, and yeah i i would say it's been a long journey but really in in the scheme of time it hasn't really because i've not been doing it for for that long compared to all the really really good pro speakers who've been you know speaking for 10 15 or more years i think it's a very unusual story i mean generally my my whole journey has been quite unconventional and um i kind of like it that way but uh as a child, I had a stammer, which I kind of still have. It never really goes away. It used to be so bad that I would literally smash up phones at home for the frustration of mm. being unable to say my own name and very uh, lacking in confidence and self-esteem. And so until oh, 17, 18, the idea of speaking in public was just absolute nightmare. It was, <laughs> it was a worse fear, as it is for many people. I think it was actually voted as the, the number one fear uh, in americans it seems to um, be absolutely more than yeah mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um because perhaps it's that fear of vulnerability that fear of embarrassment mm. and with a stammer which is already very frustrating very humiliating it yeah it, it didn't add up but basically to cut the long story short i had the opportunity to to speak um in return for a donation for my mm-hmm. first everest attempt and so i kind of got forced into it but um as for kind of overcoming these kind of self-limiting beliefs, I, I found that I was able to speak very fluently um, in public as opposed to on the phone or individually, mm-hmm. um, which is quite a, a nice surprise. And so I wanted to keep on challenging myself. And, and then somewhere, somewhere down the line, I got paid to speak. And then that kind of planted the idea of, oh, this could sustain, you know, what mm-hmm. I'm trying to, to achieve. And, and the rest is history. But basically... Um, with my stammer, I had to had a very careful approach to almost manage that. And mm-hmm. if I was rehearsed to, you know, to the exact word, I could prevent and avoid any blocks on stage. Um, there were the odd talks that were a bit of a disaster that I still cringe about today. I think we've all had those though. Mm. And um, after Everest the second time, I, I I got very close to calling quits because my stammer was so kind of aggravated by the um, experience of what happened that mm-hmm. I just, I, I couldn't find, I couldn't find myself again. Um, so I went on a, a course called the uh, Starfish Project, which basically teaches you a, a technique uh, in costal breathing. And 
it was the best 250 pounds that you could ever spend <laughs> and it it gave me a tool that i can use a technique to control my speech yeah. and uh and basically it, absolutely and it, it was life-changing and so i still you know I, it, it's not a cure there is no cure you use it or lose it but basically from then on i was able to speak in a different context i was doing things out of my comfort zone into new areas of speaking i've even been able to not so much wing it i don't like to wing it but i've been able to um free flow you know, sometimes yes mm. yeah and do things that normally i wouldn't have dreamed of doing for example where i can't predict what i may be asked because it's you, you can't really get around you know you can't really change your own name because you can't you know pronounce alex it doesn't work too well so mm. any situation like that i had to avoid um so since 2016 um just having that ability to know that I can control my stammer has opened so many doors. And I wouldn't say that I've lost my fear because I think fear is important. I think like anything practice is essential, but with, I think with going on there, knowing that I have control um, and knowing that actually if I slip up, that's even more inspiring because it shows the human people that we all are. And when I do stammer, which does happen, I just, I just make fun of it. You know, I, I just point it out. And in some ways, my most successful talks have been the ones where I've just stammered and stammered and stammered and just kept on going. And you get the audience on your side straight away mm-hmm. because you're confronting their biggest fear. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, really just, just practice confidence and, and experience, I think has, has all come together. And now I know, what I can do, but I have to also be careful. That I don't get complacent. <laughs> and I think that's such a beautiful realization, Alex, because you mentioned you are confronting the audience's biggest fear. And it's so true because, and I think that's what makes your talks extra motivational and extra inspirational because it's not just about the message it's about everything else that goes on for you when you're delivering that that message which can be for some people in the audience even more motivational than than the Mm. actual message so it's important for any public speaker any motivator to remember that we inspire on different levels and the energy decides what it needs to do for every individual person in that audience. So, and it would be boring if there was a one surefire way of reaching everyone because people are, we're all different, right? Sure. And I think one thing that I must add there as well Mm. is that uh, some people can find it quite, quite uh, amusing. And I can as well, to be honest. And Mm. I think this is where, where for me, I get the real joy of, Mm. of, and of overcoming adversity is by you know beating these these you know self these kind of self self-imposed beliefs is that i can go to an event and kind of stand up on stage in front of 300 400 people have rehearsed the talk word for word and speak without a single hitch and on the way to the talk i could have been unable to um pronounce you know the train station mm-hmm. and actually buy a train ticket because of my stammer and it shows that actually the challenge is, is still very real. It's still very there. And yeah. I think that by becoming too polished, you almost lose that authenticity. Um, and I think so, you know, you know, what, one of the kind of not, not frustrations, but the biggest mysteries of, of being a speaker is, is that you have no idea just what impact you could be having. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes talks, I, I may come away and the energy wasn't quite what I, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't quite what I expected or perhaps I didn't feel like I had really connected. And suddenly these amazing bits of feedback come out of the blue, whether it's email or something else. And, uh, and I think that for me is the most rewarding part about it is that you just never really know what impact you could be making. So what does that teach you in those moments? I think um, a few things, but mostly that I'm quite hard on myself in terms of my kind of self-esteem. I'm generally a, a very high self-expectations. Sometimes I might come away saying, oh, I messed that up or I didn't do a good job or I should have done this. And after every talk, I'd always reflect. I'd always look for improvements and always trying to you know, get feedback and adjust. And I think that um, I think it's about acceptance that actually it doesn't necessarily matter what I thought about it. It's what the audience took away from it. And some of the people that are completely silent in the room could have quite literally had something that's going to change their whole life, you know, their whole life journey, which sounds very, very kind of extravagant, but I think it's, it's very possible. Totally. (laughs) I, I think also just generally to, to accept that, you know, any performer has off days and, uh, I think also I've realized the need to keep things fresh. You know, sometimes if you're doing things too much, they can lose their energy, their impact. You've also got to really believe in what you're saying as well for that to come across properly. You have a book out called Icefall, which is doing really well and the reviews are glowing to say the least. I believe you (laughs) you have a second book coming out later on this year called Out of My Mind. Yeah, so my second book, um, the title may change yet, we're not sure, but right. uh, it will be out this spring, actually. Um, so a bit earlier than, than that. So uh, again, the date's still to be uh, confirmed, but um, the, the first draft is finished. Um, I have a publisher uh, in Nottingham uh, who specialise in mental health and all their, all their stories, their books are to are basically with the mission of, of trying to raise awareness and support Mm-hmm. Uh, mental health or welfare both in the uk and globally they've been behind me all the way and having their support has been fantastic so mm-hmm. the book will be kind of a follow-on from icefall it's uh it took pretty much the best part of last year to actually write it and like many of these things do it took longer than planned uh it was actually probably one of the most challenging things i've done to be honest but this one will be talking a lot about uh, my own personal experiences of mental health um i've suffered with you know mental issues since well in some ways since being a young child but especially more so in the last sort of four or five years of my life and uh it's going into in, into that period of my life especially after after everest when there was um oh. big disaster and the kind of the fallout from that and this kind of you know losing my purpose in life losing you know losing my way and you know and as a result my mental health suffered um, to talking very openly about that and I'm trying to again find hope and for me that's always come from the outdoors and personal mm-hmm. challenges and giving back and um, and almost finding a way to fulfill that then it will lead on to talk about uh, a second expedition to another peak uh, in China called Chouayu. Um and I won't give too much of the story away but basically from then on it's going to share some personal reflections of my journey and then talk mostly about my uh, 
my, my challenge in 2017, climb the UK, which you mentioned at the start, which mm-hmm. is, you know, climbing all 100 counties for young minds. Somewhere along the way, I kind of realized that, uh, you know, the thing is with climbing these big peaks is there's only one way back down again. And I think we're all looking for that, that one big thing in life and, yeah. and that we think that when we get there, we're going to be complete, you know, happy days. <laughs> um, but I started to kind of ask myself on that last expedition, you know, as to am I really making the biggest difference, you know, here in a tent on my own halfway across the world up a mountain? And I was inspired by quite a few other adventurers doing things close to home. And that was kind of the inspiration to do Plan the UK, something that really touched on an issue that was important to me and showed off the best of our own country. Um, you know, the amazing places that most of us have never even seen, but also to, to take that mental health uh, discussion, especially for men, you know, to literally every corner of the UK. So the book will be covering that journey, not just the adventure, but I want it to explore the link between, you know, the outdoors, exercise and fitness for our mental health. We all know it's good for us, but I really want to, I really want it to inspire people to get outside more often, but also to um, compare the peaks and troughs of life with, you know, the peaks and troughs of mental health and the actual physical ups and downs of climbing up and down mountains. I think it's something that a lot of people can relate to, but uh, again, as you touched on before, I just want it to, to give hope, to help other men realize mm-hmm. that, that these things can affect anybody. They can affect adventurers, they can affect speakers, they can Absolutely. affect. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really excited about the book. And I, again, I really hope it will, it, it really can help people to, to find their own Everest in life mm-hmm. and to, mm-hmm. to find the hope to keep on going. Let's talk about mental health a little bit more, if you're okay with that, Alex. Yeah, go for it. Mental health, even a couple of years ago, was given very little spotlight. Today, for all the right reasons, and thanks to the very hard work from many people and many leaders, such as yourself, it's receiving a lot more much-needed attention. My question would be, what else needs to be done? And what are some of the key challenges in terms of mental health that you feel men and women and children and, and people of all ages are battling with on a daily basis? Yeah, really good question. I think I've certainly noticed in the last few months, especially on LinkedIn alone, that there's um, mm-hmm. been a real, a real specific attention on the workplace and trying to address mental health in the workplace. And I know your guest in your last episode, uh, Anthony Taylor, was, you know, I know he, did, you know, I know he works a lot in that field uh, in mental health uh, first aid as well. And, and, you know, that's fantastic. I think personally, um, well, for a bit of background, just, you know, just briefly, I think we'll sure. add some context. You know, I mean, for me, because of my epilepsy, my stammering and the bullying that I faced at school, um, anxiety and panic attacks were my first kind of my first experience of any kind of mental health issue. Now that's going back some time. And so it was seen in a different context, but I think because of a variety of life events and perhaps some of these things from the past, you know, uh, my first, um, my first kind of bout of anxiety. And then it wasn't till about 2012 that I kind of, I really experienced it and uh, depression so, yeah, it, it first hit me when I was about 16. Um, now, I think when you've had it once, it kind, of, it kind of never really goes away. It's just kind of you learn to manage it. And 
since then I've had kind of a few kind of episodes of low mood and depression again. Uh, I've had issues with an eating disorder uh, as well, which is kind of tied in very nicely with the depression and anxiety. Um, and this has all been kind of in the midst of, of what I do. You know, it, it's, it's, it's been very much, you know, an ongoing struggle and challenge that I face. I think, mm-hmm. as I said before, everybody is dealing with something. Um, and I think that's almost been part of the message that mm-hmm. is that these so-called, you know, flaws or weaknesses haven't stopped me from taking on these massive physical challenges. And that's kind of the example behind them. But that's my own personal experiences. And so because of that, I've had a bit of experience with, you know, with health and therapy and speaking to people. And from my perspective, I've been very lucky that I've been able to uh, manage mine through the outdoors and training and exercise. And it was linked to an injury, which actually put me out of running for quite a long time. Uh, And that was the first kind of, the first kind of vulnerability where it was able to take in was suddenly this coping mechanism that I think a lot of people use for stress or just the general daily life mm-hmm. um, was taken from me. Uh, and so whenever I've had similar situations after then, it's almost, you know, it's almost kind of been there, uh, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think nowadays what, what needs to be done is that I, I don't necessarily think that it's, it's about, I don't think it's just about awareness anymore, because I think that we're very aware of it. As you says, it's getting a lot more spotlight, which is fantastic. And I think the more people that talk about these things, the more, the more normal uh, it becomes. Now, I find that it certainly feels easier to talk about anxiety and depression. But as, as a man, I think eating disorders have been really difficult to put out there. I can't understand why this kind of fear is or where it comes from. I think it's perhaps tied up in stigma and kind of social perceptions. But I still recall how terrifying it was to to actually you know, go and get help from a GP and then to, to post publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the only, the only real way I can suggest around that is, is by, by just by more people sharing their stories so that mm-hmm. it becomes as commonplace as the, as the other things that we talk about every day. And I do find that now that having put my story out there, it's, uh, I'm not afraid to actually you know, mention it as I just have now. Uh, which mm-hmm. two years ago I, w- I would never have dreamed of doing. And I think conversations and forums and opportunities that do that are, are the way forward. I think I have been through, you know, NHS help and I found there is a massive shortfall in that, you know, in that the help is there, but it takes too long to get it. And some, so, so sometimes a lot of people like myself, by the time they get the help, get help are able to find help through other means. Um, but I think for the people that haven't kind of got their own mechanisms to cope, such as the outdoors or whatever that could be for them, I think, yeah, that's my concern is that the mm. people that kind of are struggling to help themselves haven't got the help fast enough. And I think that's more from a, a government policy type kind of approach rather than what we can do. But I think there are some fantastic initiatives you know, encouraging people to get help and giving them a chance to share their feelings, to, to speak to people. Um, I think online and in person that I think that uh, it's about these conversations as much as anything now. I think the, the, the stigma is slowly changing, but I think, I think unfortunately it's going to take time. Lastly, what I have noticed is that I think uh, social media is giving a really good opportunity for people to, you know, to connect and, you know, sort of share 
their challenges. At the same time, I think there's a risk of adding labels. And I think that sometimes it can be easy to add a label to ourselves that, you know, we are, you know, we are our illness, you know, we are depressed or we, you know, we are anxious. And I think that can almost get in the way of, you know, of improving. And I think it's about, a lot of it is about ourselves is how we perceive ourselves mm-hmm. and social media sometimes I think has, has a negative connotation as well. Um, I think it's about genuine conversations in the right places, really. That last line there that you said is for me, one of the most important key messages of this podcast. It's one thing to talk about it and to be aware of it and to live with it and to be open about it. But it's another to not, I'm going to use a word that some people might perceive wrong. No, of course. It's not my intention to dwell on it. And I think that's what social media, it's a fine balance yeah. strike between awareness and dwelling on something because one is helpful and the other one gives it an attention that actually reactivates the stigma without realizing it. Does that, it does is. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that again is almost part of the issue is that it's such a sensitive issue that affects yeah. so many people. You know, one in four people in the UK each year that it's I think people are sometimes afraid to say, you know, to, to kind of say anything about it because they don't want to upset or offend people. And I think that I, I do think social media is as as amazing as it is to give people a chance to 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 get help. I mean, I've you know i've been so grateful that my friends online have been there to chat and message and encourage me when i've been feeling low and mm-hmm. and until the cloud lifts you know we need to speak to people however hard it can be at the time and i think social media is a great platform for that but i think it can also make us vulnerable to kind of you know label ourselves in the crowd and i think then we almost have an excuse just to kind of not not really you know, not seek the help that we really need. I think it's, it keeps us, it keeps us stuck in this negative view of ourselves. Mm. Um, whereas I think there's lots to be said for, you know, being more active. I think uh, one thing I want to do this year, I've got some, some big, big, you know, big ideas and plans around getting more people to discover the outdoors as a way of, of kind of putting their mind over these mountains. And I think by, I think our lifestyles and, and, general perceptions of ourselves and so many things have have played a really big big role in i think this increasing problem uh, in mental health and mm-hmm. there's so many so many people so many people struggling i think i think what i've what i've kind of felt as well and again i, I am absolutely you know no expert on this um but i think that we need purpose and not pills and i think that i think a big part of it now is about helping people to find to find their purpose because i've noticed myself that i've always struggled when i haven't had a meaning i've not had a purpose to be here and i think especially for young people that i speak to um there's a lot of people kind of questioning you know why am i really here and then comparing themselves on social media and uh and yet it's it's not hard to see why why there's so many people struggling and where perhaps with more you know with more intervention we could actually prevent people needing to get help in the first place just with more conversations you know when when people hear mental health they might think because that the spectrum is so broad isn't it but even like not knowing my why am i here my you know what's the point etc etc that's that's not a big schizophrenia thing it's 
genuine questions that all of us have. And if we don't talk these things through with people, then they can become issues. But it's just so important to because you mentioned the number one in four and i don't i wouldn't want to argue about numbers because i'm sure that they're absolutely correct but in my opinion it's four in four we all have a physical health we have a mental health it's the degree to which you know it stops us from living fully i suppose sure and you know i certainly you know i certainly wouldn't want to say that that some people are kind of say making it up for example but i think that essentially sometimes we we perhaps may have you know forgotten the fact that life really is about the peaks and the troughs and perhaps again it's our social media and social norms that creates this expectation oh. that it should be sunny and happy and successful all the time <laughs> but i think um it's again this is what i've been talking about in the book is about the the, the kind of natural peaks and troughs that sometimes because of these labels and awareness that people may just misinterpret, you know, a natural low point as, you know, Oh, I'm depressed. I'm anxious. And I I, I absolutely don't want to, you know, you know, disrespect the people that generally are because I've been there and I know how, how crippling that, that can be. But I think that uh, it's, I think a lot of it is about uh, labels and purpose. And I think, as you say, we, we, we need somebody to, to kind of talk about these things i think there's lots of talk and not necessarily a lot of action and I'm, i mean absolutely the treatment and care available for people with mental health massively needs to change because it shouldn't be taking six or seven months on a waiting list mm. um but i've always been very fortunate that i've been mentored um probably for the last four or five years now and it's just through kind of contacts in business that i've uh, come across some of it uh, in NLP, in, you know, in businesses and just people with, with life experience and willing to pass that on. And mm-hmm. often a mentor, a session with them and just a chat over a coffee has, has put me back on my feet so many times. And I think, you know, m- mentoring and kind of mental health could be something we need to get more of as well. And it's sometimes even the smallest things that we can do for other people and say to other people that can make the greatest difference, right? Even a small, a well-intended and, and obviously a genuine compliment can be enough to lift someone for the rest of the day. So oh, if, God, that, yeah. if, if small things like that happened for us and we do it to other people more often, more frequently, then we could actually create a better world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's lots that can be done and there's lots that is being, being done, but um, I think yeah, it's a very, it's a very big and complex issue. I think, as you say, there's, it's more in the spotlight now. But I think we just need to be, we need to be careful that it's not becoming too, too broad. Um, mm-hmm. I think it needs to be more specific now. So, and I, you know, again, my focus for, for for this year and beyond is not only through my fundraising, is to, you know, to try and help other people that have been in that same position as well. I would like to wrap up our very interesting conversation today, Alex, with one last question. If you want to feel better, then a great way of feeling better is to help others and inspire others. Now, you're a living example of that. You're doing it really beautifully and effectively. Thank you. But not everyone has a similar significant story to tell. What would be your advice to these people who also want to go out there and inspire, but their toolbox is not as big as yours? Well, again, I've been asked um, this actually directly a few times, again, from other young people that kind of want to 
they want to have the opportunity to to inspire and i think we can inspire people in in the smallest of ways as you say sometimes just a small comment mm-hmm. with the everest attempts i mean i guess you naturally as a speaker you, you you naturally create an avenue for yourself because people are very fascinated by the world's highest peak especially with the avalanches that happened and, sure. and the disasters and obviously what happened with disasters wasn't quite to plan but in some ways told a more a more real and relatable story than had i reached the top you know first time round. i think my advice to them would be that they have to you know is that we we have to you know create our own story and it doesn't necessarily need to be everest it could be whatever they're passionate about whether that's uh, in business in in charity or fundraising you know i i I'm, and i know so many amazing inspiring people that have kind of attempted everest and and gone on to do much much bigger projects and exciting things and and i think one of the main advice that people always kind of say to me is you know you've got to have a story to tell and and although i've been lucky that mine's kind of happened naturally um i think essentially it's it's a tough question because i've been lucky that this is has has kind of happened for me but i think that my instinct will be to say that they just need to they need to have something that they genuinely passionately care about. And that could be, you know, something that affects all of us. It could be social media, it could be writing, it could be artwork. And I think with passion, you can, you can probably go a lot further than you think. And I was listening to um, your episode with uh, Dr. Natalia Wachowski and about how, you know, how she said about, you know, asking the, the five people you know, nearest to you, kind of how they saw you, what they perceived of you, because sometimes we perceive ourselves in a different way. I mean, I, don't really perceive that I've done much. I never, never feel I've done enough. I always want to be more and more and more. And perhaps the people that feel they haven't got a story to tell yet, and yet is the key word. Mm-hmm. Maybe they they have something to offer that they haven't realised. So, I think, I think her suggestion of of asking the people around them what their strengths and maybe what what their kind of you know USP could be is a good place to start because they could have a gift that they don't realize because they just do what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, after then, I think the next step will be to, you know, would be to set big goals and to challenge themselves and to essentially try and achieve something significant. That's but doing it for the right reasons, doing it because it's, it's something they're passionate about that has, you know, it fulfills their, their purpose in life. And that will, well, any, any big goal or big challenge worth approaching will bring adversity. It will bring setbacks. It will go, it will, well, very unlikely to go to plan. And it's those stories of perseverance and failure and success and hardship that we don't see coming that I think are what give people the story rather than the success. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be physical. It doesn't have to be Everest. I think it's about trying to challenge something. And even if you're not there yet, I mean, you know, I haven't, actually climbed Everest but I've been a speaker for four, well three or four years mm-hmm. um it's not so much about what you have to achieve but I think the journey to what you're trying to achieve that's what matters most and in closing Alex you are a very effective and inspirational fundraiser can you share a little bit more about that journey how's that going do you have any targets that you're working towards in terms of targets for a long time I kind of had this kind of big number in mind of you know trying to raise a million pounds and and then i had a really interesting chat with um a guy called uh, jerry proctor and, and he says it's not really about about the kind of you know about the about the number and the measurement but it's about 
the real impact you've made. And oh. I think we always, well, I think a lot of us, we want kind of a, you know, kind of a measurable goal. And therefore that's why we attach numbers to things, whether it's, I want to run a marathon in this time, or I want to raise X amount, or I want to, you know, earn this much per year. I think it really struck me because I realized that this number of 1 million didn't really have any significance other than in my head. And it was just a way of perhaps feeling like I've made a difference when it made me really rethink about whether it's about the amount raised or actually feeling, feeling that process, feeling the difference that it has made in someone's life mm. rather than just, you know, sending it off to a big charity. And that's why this year I'm looking at setting up my own project for charity, which will be based on mental health and the outdoors so that I can create something that, that kind of lasts a bit longer. Mm. Um, so basically I don't have kind of a number target in mind anymore for, for, for my next outdoor challenge. I will have kind of a monetary target, but that's purely from a marketing point of view to try sure. and, help push things up but but no i think i realized that you know putting putting all these numbers on things is um i think it, it wasn't i think it's a bit of a limited process it's like the reason i kind of turn away from everest is Ooh. that once you get to, to, to the top well what do you do next <laughs> so no it's just really about trying to to impact lives really through i guess overcoming life challenges through outdoor challenges and, mm. and hopefully helping people to overcome theirs and speaking of helping people, if people want to help you on your fundraising journey, Alex, what's the best way for them to find out more about you and contact you? Yeah, I'd love to connect. Um, I tend to post most of my adventure kind of outdoor daily life um, stuff on uh, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. The best way would probably be to be would be to well either search my name or just go to my website alexstanleyforth.com, um, where you can find the links to all the, all those. Uh, for more of the kind of motivational speaking and personal motivation and my events, um, I also post more of that type of content on LinkedIn. So I'd love to connect on there as well. And you know, just in general, um, I've always been helped and mentored, and so I really would love to share all the things I've learned. So please do, you know, email me or, you know, send a message by any of those really. But um, mm -hmm. yes, I'm active across all those and, uh, and it'd be great to, you know, share the journey with anybody as well. Alex, thank you so much for your wisdom, for sharing your story. So honestly, for sharing your tips, your energy, we wish you all the best with your future adventures and with the upcoming book. Thank you, thank you very much. On doing what you do so beautifully, and that is inspiring people to overcome, well, first of all, identify their mountains and then climb and overcome them. So, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure, Christoph. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to help your employees find their why in life, why not take a look at my website christophspeasons.com which is all about practical spirituality, learning initiatives to improve mental health in the workplace. You can also find me on all major social media and if you want to send me an email please write to connect at christophspeasons.com. That's it for today. I look forward to connecting with you on the next episode. Bye for now.